the only way you can go wrong is if you just fail not to react. You know, I tell everybody, teach the way you would want to be taught. Because when you look at it from that approach, you want somebody that is dynamic, that is engaging, that is just going to blow you away when you sit down and throw that lab right there. And that's the secret to teaching. That is the secret to the beginning of an autonomous learner who is going to be self-sustaining from crayons to career. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. And I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I'm live on the line with Aaron Smith, PhD. Aaron, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. How are you today, Richard? Awesome. So glad to have you on the show amidst our wonderful COVID crisis. I know lots of things are, uh, are happening in our world, but we still want to come on to our show here and provide a voice of positivity and tell some cool stories. So glad to have you here um, while we're, uh, we're in our you know, internal lockdown stuff. Um, so you're coming to us from Virginia, is that right? Yes, sir, I am. Uh-huh. Awesome. And for those of you who've been following my story around through the podcast, we're currently in Florida under our uh, you know, shelter-in-place orders here. Um, so what I want to do before we get too far into this is introduce you to Aaron and let you know what it is that he does, and we'll dive into his story. So um, Aaron is an uh, international speaker innovating education for workforce development, which is really interesting. Um, and you've got a passion for workplace readiness in STEM, where you are an expert consultant that leads communities, school districts, and businesses in transforming their organizations to initiate, grow, sustain um, the creation of a pipeline of workforce-ready graduates with your five-point STEMS initiative. So with all of that, why don't you just tell me a little bit about what it is that you do and how you help communities and help um, grow essentially our education sector with your, your business? So what I do is I allow K-12 corporations, workforce development centers to understand that everybody's facing the same problem. We all want highly qualified and competent workers. But in order to do that, we really have to unify our resources, our thoughts, and our projections on what the next level employees should look like. And the way that you do that is you really start off with dialogues. You find out what their needs are, what their niches, and you develop that within the community, common language. From there, you develop goals. And that's where you start to establish criteria. From the criteria is what are things that you wanna develop in the next five years, 10 years. And at the same time, how can you incubate some of these things in the schools so that you're not having a swarm of qualified employees 
and then 10 years later, you're lacking and you're struggling to find it. And you see this right now all across the world. And, and I'll pick the aviation world, for example. Boeing um, did a report not too long ago where they're looking for over 2 million people. We're talking about pilots, mechanics, flight crew. And it's because there's not been a focus on getting qualified pilots and mechanics and aircraft crews ready for this. So in order to avoid a crisis like this, you have to develop a continuum that enables you to continue addressing these things at every facet of the road. So corporations have a responsibility in making sure that their employees are up to date. They have the best skills available. They have um, good engagement skills and also have the ability to share knowledge and become intertransferable. And by that, I mean, they should be able to take whatever work that is and apply it into the next product or the next cycle that enables the profits to increase for that company. Yeah, absolutely. And I know um, it's an interesting, interesting uh, like problem that we've run into over the last you know, 20 years or so, because I remember um, when I was in high school, like during that my high school career, um, like halfway through the, the my high school career, they cut out everything that wasn't college prep, right? So we lost auto shop, we lost wood shop, we lost like every, you know, home act, all of it was gone um, by the time I was in uh, my 11th grade year. They didn't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you're going to college and you're going to college for um, some sort of, you know, soft skills, right? Programming or, you know, whatever the, the things are. Um, and uh, a lot of the hard skills just went by the wayside. And it's interesting because I, re I remember reading a couple of years ago, Apple tried to bring a manufacturing plant back here and they put out um, application for engineers and they only got 4,000, I think, applicants for it. And they needed like 40,000. Yep. Um, and there's just like the, the, the labor pool isn't there um, in the States the way that it used to be. And so if I'm understanding you correctly, you're working towards correcting that. Correct. Um... In, in order to do this, you have to understand it's a huge marketing plan as well as investing within the infrastructures itself. Years ago, the focus was on four-year schools. You know, back in the day, people were talking about the importance of four-year schools. And yeah, there was some validity to that, but now the times have changed where the two-year schools, trade schools, apprenticeships, and certifications have the same power as four-year institutions. And, and I bring that up because there's what's called a seven-to-one rule. For a doctor, for example, they usually have seven support staff. You usually are talking about a couple of nurses, an IT person, talking about some administrative folks along the way. And that creates, in order for the doctor to completely perform their job 100%. We're lacking in the technical field those two-year degrees, those certifications that bridge the four-year degrees. Makes a lot of sense, um, and it's it's interesting too because like the uh, um, there seems to have been just culturally a shift away from those kind of um, jobs and positions without realizing that there's good income to be made and there's you know there's a lot of need for those. Um, and job security and stuff that's just, uh, it was, I don't know what the thing happened, but it's like ignored, right? It, it is. And 
I, I want to say through nobody's fault on their own, but I think part of it is people focus on one good thing instead of focusing on the overall picture. Counselors, when you think about it, the counselors have general pedagogy. They understand how to deal with a crisis. They understand the basics of getting a job, but really you want a counselor who understands industries. You want a counselor who understands trade schools. You want to involve the schools to have more career technical education, to bring their shop classes back, to inform parents that every child should have a choice and one of the choices should be four-year schools, but other choices should include the military, apprenticeships, certifications that enable to find their niche and more importantly, develop the skills that are their strengths. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I know it's, a, it's an interesting place to, to be as someone who, I don't, I don't employ a lot of people, I employ a couple, but still, you know, you, you wanna have, um, you wanna have a breadth of resources to find people, right? What, what it is that you're, you're looking to hire for. Um, and it's, it's interesting because my, uh, my brother, for instance, he, he is a machinist, right? So mm -hmm. he works with the CNC machines to cut really complicated things with lasers and spinning tools and whatnot. Um, he's one of the youngest people in the industry and all of the places that he's worked for, it's their biggest problem is they don't have anyone to replace the people who are aging out of their um, out of their careers, right? Who are retiring. It's like the average age in my brother's industry is 65 right now, right? And he's the 30, right? And he's like most of his peers in his in his uh, workplaces are all in their 60s, yeah. right? And he's like, there's nobody coming in, um, which means for, it's a good thing for him. His demand is going through the roof, oh, but of for <laughs> for companies who need to hire and fill those positions, um, you know, there's there's good money to be made, and it's it's a, it's a definitely a important thing. So my curiosity then is how did you get into this, right? So we talk on the show all the time is your origin story, right? Every hero has their origin story where you started to realize that maybe you were different, that maybe you had a value you could offer this world. How did you get into providing this type of a service for communities and for corporations to help build the workforce? So way back, back around 1997, I started my first job as a man teacher. And, you know, back then, the, the pedagogy was learn the curriculum, learn the theory, and of course, deliver it through multiple aspects of it. And you fast forward into the last 10 years, when I got my job as the program administrator of a place called Aviation Academy. And for those not familiar with it is, we help kids understand STEM through aviation maintenance, piloting, safety and security, and also engineering. And these are taught by professionals. We're talking about people that are FAA endorsed, true aerospace engineer, a retired judge. And it's where it really dawned on to me that teachers need to have that experience of workforce and industry practice while they teach. Because otherwise you're, you're disengaging the kids because they're always asking, why are we learning this? but you also are beginning to plant this so true. critical thinking and brainstorming. And, and through that, I then said, you know, there's gotta be a better way. There, there just has got to be a better way. Schools are doing everything they can do. Businesses are doing everything they can do. And 
within my job, part of it is to become kind of like a business partner liaison where I see what companies can help our school, how can our schools help companies, whether it's employees or volunteer stuff. And that's when it hit me that there should be a bridge or if you will, a roadmap to change those diplomas to dollars. And just through good old fashioned research, good old fashioned trial and error, and my experiences at Aviation Academy is where I said, this is how we need to do it. This is where we need to go. Um, unfortunately, part of the problem is not everybody wants to be uh, a fair player. People are afraid to give up things because you're gonna talk about money, you're gonna talk about resources, but in the end, if everybody does give a little bit, there's so much more to gain. Run. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about the idea of teachers understanding workforce, right? Because, you know, we, we homeschool our kids. We got four of them. My oldest one is 10. So he is in the process currently of still learning to read and write, right? That's right. like the primary thing that they're learning. And we get that question all the time. Right? Like, why do I have to learn this? Why do I have to do this? Like, he just absolutely hates writing, hates it, like, passionately. Um, and, which is, which is fine. He, I mean, you know, but at the same time, we have to answer that question for him. Of right. Why do you have to learn this skill? So, like, one of the things I've been doing is I bring him in here and I show him, like, the work that I do. And, like, mm -hmm. literally every, every aspect of our work, doesn't matter really matter what, what industry you're in, comes back to being able to read and write and communicate. Right. And then, like, it's like a baseline skill. So like that one's pretty easy. But when you start getting into some of the more advanced sciences and start getting into the more complex math, that question is harder to answer. Right. On like, how do you how does this apply to mm -hmm. your life going out? And I remember being a kid myself, you know, looking at a lot of those, a uh, lot of things that we were forced to learn under duress. Right. In high school, I don't want to do this. Um, how how are you helping teachers answer that question? I think number one is making them aware that when you teach real world experiences, critical thinking involves, and those are going to be the success and the pass rates to your standardized testing. We think that teaching um, should be teaching the test. In other words, there's 60 questions, 10 questions are on this subject. And, and I disagree with that. I think we have to teach the skill and pack it with a varied approach that shows them multiple fields, STEM, not STEM, arts, not arts, so that they have the capability of synthesizing the material through the way that they learn. For example, if your son asks, why do we have to write this down? All right, he's what, uh, third grade, fourth grade? Yeah. Okay, so categorizing is, is a math slash science skill, right? Mm -hmm. So by that, yeah. what you could do is have him go into your food pantry and have him categorize all the vegetables, all the noodles, you know, and help him understand that this is a process, much like a process and a production line you're taking inventory, you're validating it. But at the same time, you're counting, you're multiplying, you're doing the basic fundamentals that every third and fourth grade math teacher would want to happen. You're categorizing things in science, just like you would in a business area. And the more people can kind of switch 
that mindset from just pure teaching and pure uh, pedagogy into real life scenario, it actually becomes fun. Kids want to learn when they have the right teacher, when they have the right experiences, and more important, they're hungry for it. They, they, they desire to see something every day. Absolutely. So if I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly, it sounds like what we have in our, in our education industry now is a, this, this, that whole like give a man a fish versus teach a man to fish. If you're teaching to test, right, to pass the test, you're basically just giving them the fish mm-hmm. instead of actually like teaching them how to use their mind and how to actually like i don't know you know it's the real world experience that's going to help them be able to pass the test regardless Um, and then they have skills that are beyond answering the questions on the test it is and 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 i think sir ken robinson said it best i don't know if you've ever seen the youtube video but he said education is killing creativity and if you ever watch his 20 minute amen to that there is power in his his mission his passion and you know, when we grew up, we got a chance to play. We got to go experiment with colors and do things like that. But kids lose that as they grow up through the ages. You do use your five senses in kindergarten, first and second. And about third, you start losing the senses. And it's because the classrooms get bigger, the resources get tighter, and the accountability grows even higher to the point where teachers are afraid to step out of the comfort zone to try something new. And and I remind everybody, the only way you can go wrong is if you just fail not to react. You know, I tell everybody, teach the way you would want to be taught. Because when you look at it from that approach, you want somebody that is dynamic, that is engaging that is just going to blow you away when you sit down and throw that lab right there. And that's the secret to teaching. That is the secret to the beginning of an autonomous learner who is going to be self-sustaining from crayons to career. I like that from crayons to career. Um, And it's interesting too, because you mentioned uh, the, um, once you get into third and fourth grade, the the accountability changes, and a lot of it goes towards like, hey, the accountability is you have to have your kids pass this test. So, like the incentive, like we've incentivized teaching to test instead of incentivizing teaching to um, what what did you say earlier? Teaching to like critical thinking, and then allowing the critical thinking to let them pass the tests. Yeah, yeah, and and that's why so. I- do you have do you have suggestions on how to how to change that incentive structure in the school? So number one, you know, you, it takes a whole village to raise a child. And, and I'm, I apologize for the cluaic expression, but there is power behind this. I think it's time to change the way we view education. And the only way we're gonna do that is you bring your parents together, you bring the community together, you bring the businesses together, and you bring all the schools together to develop a common framework a common understanding of what should be done, not only with today's child in school, but the children that have just graduated and also the current workforce. When you're doing that, teachers really need to pay close attention to the subject matter experts, the ones that are out there on the industry, in the labs, 
you know, in the engineering fields and take notes as to how they can carry those skills back into the classroom. But at the same time, teachers have the opportunity to share with HR better and more effective professional development trainings. I don't know if you've gone through this or not, but I, I think a lot of people will relate to how many times employees have just sat there for a two hour PowerPoint webinar and just totally felt like it was a waste of time when they could have gotten it in an email or there was no engagement, there was no feedback. This is where mutual relationships can, can outweigh any uh, interfering factors. And I think from there, it's just a continual conversation. You just can't stop. It's just like um, working out after New Year's. You're going to be great January 2nd. You'll be okay January 3rd, but about the first week, you know, you're kind of cut off and you're done with it. You've you got to be continuous and committed to it. That's what's going to be self-sustaining, creating a culture, but also driving the economic force for the next millennial. Absolutely. So I want to move on a little bit in the interview and ask you about your superpowers, right? So this is what you do or build or offer this world that helps solve problems for people, the things that you use to slay the world's villains, so to speak. And the way that I've been framing this for my guests lately has been, um, if you look at your set of skills that you have, right, all the things that you're good at or the things that you use um, on an everyday basis, if you really look at them, you probably find that one of your skills energizes the rest, right? It's the one that, you know, it's, it's where, where the, uh, the zone of genius is, so to speak. Do you know what that is for you? What's your so, superpower? So my superpower is subconsciously thinking through a problem until I've answered it. And, and I say that because I'll look at a problem and I'll just kind of keep developing and flushing and flushing it. And then eventually I'll get that eureka moment. And sometimes I could just be grilling and it would hit me and I have a notebook with me everywhere I go. So when I get an idea, I write it down. Um, I think also my ability to connect with people and, and find out who they are, what their strengths are, and hopefully give them an opportunity for them to develop themselves. So mm -hmm. in, in your case, you, you love technology. I think you are very passionate and want the better of humanity. Um, and that said, you start off with your children, giving them the best that they have, but at the same time balancing them with realistic moments so that they remain humble throughout their lives. And the way that you're going to amplify this is you're going to show people in your show that it can be done no matter where they are in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. One of our, uh, that's one of the goals on the show um, is I culturally speaking, growing up um, and even still today, uh, I've always seen entrepreneurs portrayed as villains. Um, and it, like, it still happens. Um, you know, it, you know, I watched one of my kids shows the other day and, you know, the, uh, the primary gist of the show was, Hey, there was, uh, you know, a, an entrepreneur who was destroying the ocean and wanting to kill all the fluffy bunnies or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they have to, you know, gather together and fight against the, the evil entrepreneur. And I've always hated that storyline. It's so common culturally because, you know, literally everything we touch and interact with every day was at some point touched or handled by an entrepreneur. 
Um, and so we use this show as a way to sort of like show people that, hey, entrepreneurship is just as viable an option as any of the other workforce options that, that um, are out there. And it's not a, uh, it's not a negative thing, right? Um, and, you know, so that's uh, one of the things we do with this show, but yeah. So entrepreneurship, that is a great thing to talk about because when you do talk about the fourth industrial revolution, some people would argue that that is an essential skill as well because that helps continue to spark that new economy. You, you never know when you're going to have the next uh, Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos right there in their garage building something that could become a trillion dollar um, driving force for the world. But yeah, providing same, millions of jobs and <laughs> exactly, exactly. And entrepreneurs sometimes get the bad news because they're hearing about cutting jobs, but they forget maybe they're the ones who started it and gave them jobs to start off with, you know, 20, yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's really interesting too, because, um, it, I, I spend a lot of time working with smaller entrepreneurs, right? People who are not running thousand plus per person organizations are generally in the, you know, zero to, you know, 25, 50 people in their organizations. Um, and those entrepreneurs are still generally struggling with that whole thought that, you know, of the, the cultural upbringing that, you know, profit is evil and, you know, <laughs> that you're not, you know, you're, you're not adding value to society and not realizing that you're providing jobs and providing industry and, mm -hmm. Um, and actually creating in spaces. So it's, it's interesting. And it's something that I noticed in school, right? I was, a, I started my first business when I was 13. Um, and the school system shut me down, right? Because I didn't have, you know, the appropriate business license and stuff like right. that. It's not something that was encouraged, right? Entrepreneurship was always, you know, it's like, hey, you need, you, you shouldn't do that. You should go and prepare for college, right? Um, and it's an, it's interesting that that message is still passed around. And I like, I like the idea of holding them on the same, you know, that, you know, college is a viable option. Entrepreneurship is a viable option. You know, the, uh, the hard skills is a viable options, like, and encouraging all of those and letting the children see where they fall into place. Cause right. Not everyone's going to be an entrepreneur, right? Not everyone's going to be a college degree person. No, 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 they're not. And, and I think we have to give kids choices. We want choices. Why can't we offer our children the same thing? You know, that's, that's life. That's the beauty of being a human is we're not locked in to be assimilated into one systematic person or ideology. You know, we have to be diverse because we live in a diverse world that's full of different cultures that are amazing. And, and I think that's the beauty of where the 21st century is going is even through crisis like COVID-19, you're going to see a lot of celebrations take place. And I think there's going to be a lot of pride and I think a lot of unification because we've solved a global crisis. Absolutely. Um, and I just wanted to speak real quick on your, your, your uh, you mentioned um, one of the things that you do is you'll ruminate on a problem until you come up with a solution. Um, and, you know, keep a notebook with you when, whenever that, that solution pops into your head. And I want to just talk a little bit more about that because it's an interesting skill set. Um, and I know a lot of people, right, we, we have, I call it my back burner, right? You take something, you're like, I don't have a solution for that. You just sort of like stick it in, in your mind elsewhere and let, your, let yourself think about it. How do you develop a skill like that, right? Because that's a, that's a pretty important problem-solving skill. Um, and just learning how, you know, I don't have the answers now, but letting your mind work on it. 
Um, and having it be open to a solution is what allows your mind to work on something like that. So do you have any further thoughts on that? I, I do. One thing I learned is you have to be in the right mindset to learn. Just like if you ask a writer, they don't write every day. They write when they're ready. And some authors could write for 18 hours straight and not pick it up again until two weeks later. Then you have authors who just can crank it out an hour a day, just like it's a workout. For me, I'm a little of both. I try to think a few minutes every morning just to kind of jog my brain. Sometimes I'll do a little research and I'll even have um, basically a flow chart or an idea board. And then I'll just slip it right in my back pocket. And through the day, whether I'm going through work at home and, you know, like you said, it just gets on the back burner. And when you feel like it's starting to become ready, I'll just jot it down. And then eventually, even sometimes in the middle of the night, I'll wake up and I'll be like, boom, I got it. That's it right there. And then I'll just start to kind of put the pieces together. Then the following morning, I'll just go to town and just really finish it out. Absolutely. I always feel like I have my best ideas in the middle of the night when I'm asleep. Mm -hmm. um, and then I can't remember them in the morning or when I'm in the shower and I can't write anything down because they'd get all wet and ruined. <laughs> right. So what you do then is you just write down or try to remember key ideas within that dream or, you know, that moment. And then from there, it'll hit the back burner again. And then you'll connect one or two things from that key concept that you weren't able to capture. it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's interesting too, because sometimes um, you have like a really great idea and you write it down, then you bring it out into the real world. Um, and that's when it like gets tested and you find out, okay, that was a crappy idea or that one was a really good idea. Um, and it's an, it, it's an interesting sort of like cycle you have to go through. Um, and you sort of train your brain to understand what the, uh, like the fundamentals of a great idea are and like what's actually going to work. And the more you do it, the better you come at, you know, better you get at creating good ideas and good solutions to problems. But that's engineering. That, that's engineering at its finest. I mean, you think about people like Walt Disney. He got rejected 30 times before he actually got his first business loan. So you mean to tell me that the first time he got rejected to the 30th time he got accepted, he didn't change his model a little bit based upon the feedback? You know? You, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Even today's products, they're still being refined because if they're not, they're going to become obsolete. And if you don't believe me, look at the stores that are vacant. Look at the, the, the malls that are vacant as a result of no fresh innovation, no fresh product lines as a result of it. You know, if yeah. we don't change to match the times and the technology and the skills that our kids slash employees have, we will never optimize the true ability that we can do as a society. And I know our, uh, like, uh, we have a service that we offer in the marketplace that, uh, um, that every week and every time we go through things, I always find like little places we could optimize or change things um, and make them better. So it's like, it's a constant thing that you do um, is innovate and create, you know, better versions of your product or your service. So it's a, it's a really important skill um, mm -hmm. that you have to teach people. You have to teach your, teach your kids. So 
my uh, my next question for you is actually the flip side of the superpower, right? So if your superpower is the the ability to think through an idea and find a solution, the fatal flaw is something that you struggle with, something that has held you back or kept you from getting better results in your life or in your business. Um, just like Superman has his kryptonite, right? Or Batman's not really a superhero. What's something that you have struggled with that's held you back? And more importantly, how have you sort of dealt with it or mitigated it so someone else who struggles with something similar could uh, learn from you? Sometimes I will still refuse to give up on an issue. And, and I say that is if I want to force myself to think about a product, a process, and I'll just sit at the computer for hours instead of just getting away, refreshing my drink, talking to the kids, petting the dog, and coming up with some new ideas. And I don't know if that's stubbornness or if it's just because I'm that much dialed in the zone that you can't see the forest for the trees. So I'm trying to do better yeah. into just taking mini breaks, like maybe every hour, just a five minute break, just to kind of break the monotony, um, stretch and just kind of relook at everything so that when I do sit back down and I get in the zone, hopefully something will come to me that didn't appear to me that 10 minutes ago. So I actually have a, a, a theory on that we talk about pretty regularly on the show. I call it giving yourself permission to play. Yes. Um, and the, uh, the, the problem that we have as a society, at least in, in the U.S., is we look at, um, at play and recreation as a reward for a job well done instead of a prerequisite for doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so if you haven't reached a spot in your work where you're thinking like, I now deserve to go recreate, you'll sit there and work and work and work and never get anywhere, not realizing that it's actually you've got it flipped on its head. Right. Yeah. In order to actually get good work, you have to go give yourself permission to permission to play, recharge, re recreate, go pet the dog, play with your kids, throw the ball a little bit, um, you know, take a walk like that kind of stuff. And I know it one of the things that I did when I was a uh, um, was working a lot more hours than I do now. I was like, I, I set a little timer and every hour I'd get up and go take a 10 minute walk. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And cause it, it changes, it just changes the whole brain chemistry. So. It does. And, and if you look at schools like Finland school, uh, countries like Finland, Finland has a 98% graduation rate. And a lot of people don't realize that. And one of the reasons that they do is not only do they pay teacher higher but they also give kids more recess time. They don't put as much focus on standardized testing and they come with a different approach. And, and just like mm -hmm. you said, when you can get away from it, you're able to come back much more focused and concentrated when that time is over. And I know, I know that that's one of the reasons why they are just so resilient when it comes to education. Absolutely. Um, and I've heard a lot of good things about the uh, Finland education system. And I'm, I'm curious to see how, so, how we'll be able to integrate some of those, those things into our school system going forward. Because, um, you know, like there's a right now, our crisis is putting a huge emphasis on homeschooling and um, huge emphasis on, uh, on, what would you call it, distance learning and that kind of stuff. I think now is a really ripe time to put an emphasis on how can we change and improve our school system. So, and see distance learning, that's a whole different conversation in itself. You know, I, I think part of the issue is 
teachers know how to use it, but they don't know how to utilize it. You know, yeah. everybody can put up a lesson plan and submit it, but how are you making sure that you're getting feedback and engagement appropriately? You cannot give the same lesson plan format to a third grade student in digital learning as you can with a high school senior in digital learning because you're going to be talking about a whole different spectrum. You know, third yeah. graders are only going to be able to do so much. Seniors, they're almost on their way, maybe just need a little guidance here and there. So you, you've got a continuum that you have to think about how you can broaden it, but at the same time, shorten it up so that it fits every individual unique learner and their style. Uh, absolutely. And you have a completely different control level over your digital classroom if you're doing distance learning than you would in person. Um, I know one of the things that just cracked me up entirely was that apparently there's this whole thing now they're calling it Zoom bombing, where kids are typing in random Zoom numbers and then mooning, mooning people on, on their <laughs> classrooms and right. stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, that's, it's hilarious because our kids are, you know, even if they're a distance learning, they can still be the uh, class clown and do things like that. But um, but yeah, it's like, it's a whole new world. But see, so. that's creativity right there. I'm not Absolutely. saying it's appropriate, <laughs> but that is very creative. Not appropriate creativity, but it's creative. And that's, that's what teachers need to tap into. That's what our employers need to tap to with their employees is allowing learning to make fun. And, and if you're going to mm -hmm. have to use distance learning, at least make it so that they're able to get something out of it and they feel like their time is being valued. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about your common enemy, right? And generally speaking, we talk about the common enemy is like when you're working with individuals or corporations or school systems, it's the, the, the thing that you constantly have to fight against, the thing that you're banging your head against all the time saying, you know, wish I had a magic wand and I could just remove this like mindset or this problem that you're constantly running into. What is that for your business here where you're working on reforming the education system? I think number one, people think that it's impossible and it, it goes back to your mindset. Nothing's impossible. It's how bad do you want it? We're only bound by our imagination. And you know, then people kind of say, well, if you don't have the money to do it and you know, sometimes you don't need the money to achieve greater success. It's what you focus on. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, it's who you surround yourself with to make the actionable um, results become productive and effective. And, and that's what I tell people. If you're going to give me nothing but negativity, I want to be around you. You're, you're worthless to me. Give me somebody who wants it, doesn't mind learning, who may not have the skills, and develop a team that wants to really go at it with a charge. That's where you're going to see results. You know, it's not always the best yeah. that win in the Super Bowl. It's the most dedicated and the ones that have the best chemistry that win in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I know my, uh, my brother and I still to, the, to this day, we always tease that, uh, you know, in our various industries, people always ask us, you know, can you do something? And our response is always, that's the wrong question. Mm -hmm. Right, because the answer to that question is always yes. <laughs> the more important question is, do you have the time, money, and resources to put towards the yes answer? Um, right, and that's that's really where I think you're, the heart of your 
what you're saying is people are, don't have that attitude. They're just right. asking themselves, you know, saying that can't be done instead of saying, how can that be done? Right. And, and even if you don't have the money, you probably still have the time some way, somewhere that you can go in and devise a bridge to make it happen or come up with something complete, completely better and more innovative than what's out there that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Absolutely. So if you're coming into me is fighting against that negative mentality, you're, you know, that's the thing you're fighting against. Your driving force is what you fight for, right? So just like uh, Spider-Man fights to save, uh, save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. And what is it that you fight for? What I fight for is for the children because I, I feel like part of my existence is to help kids become better, no matter whether they're homeschooled, no matter where they're in Australia or in the United States, people need to understand that children are our future. And I've seen some horrific things and I've seen some incredible things happen. And my, I, I feel like my vision and my mission is to make a difference and to share people that we've got to stop teaching with an old model, an old model that just is rote learning and straight information where it needs to be digital. It needs to be um, process oriented, critical thinking, futuristic ideas, and give them something that shows that learners can evolve if given the right tools and opportunities. Yeah. And, and gamified is one of the big things that I've seen being really, really helpful. Um, I know I've got a, uh, um, a toddler and um, she is uh, started Khan Academy for preschool um, mm -hmm. and it's all online digital stuff. And she is just in love with Khan Academy. Um, and it cracks me up because she will get up in the morning. And she's like, I want to play Khan Academy. I want to play Khan Academy. And I'm like, it's like most of the other things that she has on her, like the, the things that she can play with, like she likes to watch YouTube videos and other things, you know, all the stuff normal kids want. Yeah. And like we limit time on a lot of those things like games and YouTube stuff. And I, but like the Khan Academy is basically at school. And I was like, you can have that as much as you want. And she will literally spend eight hours a day doing school if we let her because oh, it's cool. fun, right? Because it's, it's fun and engaging and she, she likes it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and the same thing, our six year old for also doing the Khan Academy stuff, they turned, I think it's her math curriculum. Right. And her math curriculum through Khan Academy is um, every time she does whatever their skills are going over that day, she's got a creature that she's growing that she gets points for it. Um, and she's always coming to us showing us like whatever the next evolution or whatever of her, her little creature. Um, and like she doesn't even care that she's learning things. Right. Like she cares that she's got this little creature that she's growing. <laughs> um, and she'll come and she'll tell us, be like, hey, I want to do more of the Khan Academy. I, I need to get my little creature to grow more. Uh, right. Um, and it's interesting because they've just found found ways to get kids to be engaged in what is traditionally rote learning, like reading and math. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it's so. already happening. Um, virtual reality. You know, and you think about it, that is a form of gamifying. And the beauty of mm -hmm. virtual reality is these are scenarios that can be used in high school as well as in college or in the workforce that will not only reduce the cost 
increase the time and decrease the errors because the instructor has the ability to provide specific and laser focused feedback. You did this right because you made these series of steps right. You did this wrong because you should have done step C before step D. And, and getting them the ability to do that in the form of a game kind of triggers our childhood nostalgia, how we used to love play games, hide and seek, tag, dodgeball, catch, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think part of it is also, it shows us that when you win at the game, you feel good about there's like that intrinsic value. So gamifying in school. Yeah, there's that dopamine rush. It is, it is. And, and it becomes an intrinsic value where, you know, it, it, it's more important than the grade that you necessarily get. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know the, uh, the interesting thing about the way that education is going that direction um, is, you know, we have a lot of technology now to, to support it that didn't exist when you, you know, when I was in high school, when you were in high school, like I was watching the other day um, in sports, a lot of this stuff is picking up. Uh, there's some stuff for baseball now where you can like record the kid swinging the bat um, and then it'll like analyze the whole trajectory of the mm-hmm. bat and everything. You can turn around and show it to him and be like, hey, here's where all, you know, your, your arm was in the wrong position here. And if you moved it here, it would change the trajectory, like stuff like that for you know, baseball and basketball and gymnastics and other things like, and you're saying in the aviation space, um, I think we're going to see a lot more innovation across a lot of those things that are really helping people um, pick up skills, right? Um, and, and see things in new ways. So, and it's, it's interesting because our, like our education system just has to keep up with it. Oh, there is no argument with that. Um, you know, and see as technology gets better, things will of course get cheaper. I think efficiencies will improve more. And what I see happening is that it's gonna take away the operational aspects so that hopefully the, the humanity part, the employees can focus on creativity and development and refinement of products and processes. You know, we shouldn't be afraid of automation. I think we should embrace it and understand that it's really here to help us you know, and to guide us through. It unlocks human creativity. It does. It does. Because when you are focused on an operational task, there's no way you can prepare for the vision. You can't think about a vision when you're solely focused on trying to get through that one big obstacle that's, that's holding you down. Yeah. I have a, a whole training course that I'm, uh, I just finished putting the uh, finishing touches on where I teach, I teach businesses how to build systems and processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last section of that course is about automation and where automation is useful and what it's used for. Um, and like the primary thing that I tell all of my clients is that automation is like the rule of thumb is the first one is, is that you don't use automation to replace creativity, right? If, because automation can't do creativity. You use right. it to support creativity. That's the first, the first rule. Um, and then the second rule is automation is designed to help your team members do only that which only they can do, right? So what I mean by that is, you know, if you have, like, we have a whole system of things that we do for one of our services. Um, and it's like, hey, at the end of, at the end of one, one, like, task list of things that need to get done by a human being, 
right? So for instance, we do a bunch of uh, uh, graphic design work for a client on this thing, and then it moves on to, um, and then it needs to get a bunch of writing work done. Um, and one of the steps in the process is like, okay, this project needs to have all of its stuff checked off and, you know, and moved over to the next person's like list of things to do. Mm -hmm. um, and we use automation to support that transition, right? So it, you know, when you, when you move the project over to the next person, now it, it takes off all of their, all, all of the checklists and other things that were for this person and adds on the next person as the, you know, adds all their stuff to it. Right. And it was something that in the past we had a human being doing, yeah. but it's all just operational, like click this thing, click the other thing. And when we replace that with automation, now our team members are just focused on the things that they're good at doing, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm good here and I'm good here. So they're spending their time doing their zone of genius, right? Working right. in their zone of genius instead of on operational procedures. And that's what automation really can help unlock in a business is it can unlock the potential of your team members. No, that's so true. That is so true. My next question for you is about your own personal heroes, right? So just like Frodo had Gandalf or Luke had Obi-Wan or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, who were some of your heroes? Were they uh, real life mentors, speakers or authors, peers who were a couple of years ahead of you and how important were they to what you've accomplished so far with, uh, with what you do? Wow. I, I'd say, first of all, my dad was a hero to me because he inspired me. And I think he, he saw potential in me and he just showed me really what grit was before it became a, a well-known term in the education and, and science field, you know, and that I still use to this day because, you know, there's times when you feel like shutting down and giving up, but you know that you've got to keep plugging away because something is just as brilliant on the other side of that wall. Um, there's a lot of pieces that I use from heroes um, one is, uh, my partner, Lucia Harper, and she and I are working on some projects for workforce development in K-12 schools. And she just challenges me every day. And it's one of those things that, you know, you never want to be the smartest person in the room, but you also have somebody like her who can really bring things out of you that you never realized you have. And I would say my third one is certainly one of the guys who just saw so much in me when I was at Aviation Academy. His name is Bud Ramey. His son went to school at aviation and we would often have a lot of great sidebar conversations. And he's the one who helped me really develop um, becoming an author. I, 10 years ago, I would have laughed at that. But now I realize it's something that I can share a message that's just as powerful as being in front of thousands of people is, is putting it in a book where they can pick it up when they're ready to receive it and acknowledge it and hopefully pass it along to somebody along their journey. So I would say those three are, are probably the ones that have really given me, you know, a great cornerstone in who I am now. Yeah, it's really interesting too, because I, I, Every time I ask that question, it always surprises me the answers that people give. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the reasons we ask the question um, on the show is because to me, it's, it strikes me as very cool that everyone's always got an answer to that question. It's always the most unsuspecting people. Um, and what I hope our listeners get of that message is you, don't, you probably don't even realize that you're a hero to someone else. And if they were asked that question, your name would come up. Right. Um, and I've always liked that idea that, hey, if you conduct yourself in a way that you're always looking to help bring the best out in people, 
that you probably have people in your life that you don't even realize that you're a hero for. But that's true. You think about how many teachers are heroes to kids who have horrific backstories. And that teacher is just there smiling at them and encouraging them every day. And for that child, that may be the only encouragement they hear, you know, mm -hmm. or, or to the grandmothers that are out there because the family's deployed, the mom is nowhere to be around and she's just trying to keep the family intact and keep the values together. You know, there's heroes everywhere. The first responders, the people that are in the hospitals, the doctors, the police officers, you know, we're surrounded by heroes everywhere. Unfortunately, the media limits us to recognize these people. And I think we, just like what you're doing right here and right now, have to make it a point to recognize that they are doing a great job. And, and without them, we couldn't be this close to finding a cure, or at least this close to, to hopefully solving how to contain this, this global epidemic. Absolutely. Um, and I know like in my own life, I have uh, some teachers that, that were, you know, heroes to me. And I, I actually, uh, I made it a point to go back to some of those teachers and let them know um, that, uh, you know, they, they had an important impact on my life. One of them was a, an English teacher in high school and I actually showed up at his class one day and I was like, Hey, I don't know if you are aware of this, but I can like directly trace back some of the skills that I use to run a, you know, a, a six figure business um, to things I learned in your classroom. Um, and it was really cool um, to be able to go back and just thank someone, someone like that. Um, Cause you know, he, he sees over the course of his 30 year career, thousands of students. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, and he has that same message to every kid. Um, and you don't always, you don't always realize how much of an impact it can make. So it's a, uh, it's very cool um, when you get an opportunity to uh, recognize the heroes in your life. Yeah. So um, I got one last question for you. Um, and this is basically about your guiding principles, right? So what are the top one or two principles or actions that you put into practice every day that you think contribute to the success and the influence that you enjoy in the work that you do? Maybe something that you wish you had known when you got started. I think number one, I believe it was Gandhi that says, be the change that, I'm, that our world much so desperately needs. And, and the way that you do that is, you know, you follow your own beat, but you also make a difference in people's lives. And for some people, it's just listening. For some people, you just sit down side by side and you let them cry on you. You know, you, you make a difference when you see that you need to make a difference. Um, to me, that's, that's the first part of it. I think the other part that you have to keep in mind is that we have to think about others before ourselves. And, you know, your family, man, you know, in a given moment, you would do anything for your family before yourself. And I think, unfortunately, there's times when society says it's me before we. Absolutely. Um, and it's interesting, too, because like both of those sort of remind me of uh, one of one of my guiding principles, which is leave them better than you found them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's it's a. It, it's always about looking beyond yourself, right? Um, and seeing where the change needs to happen and realizing that like, hey, you were put here to make a difference and you have skills and you have story and you have perspective, like you have a unique value to give, yep. right? Um, and 
you have to step out and actually do it, right? You have to actually um, take some action, do some things. Um, if you see someone with, that needs some encouragement, give them the encouragement, right? Um, and, you know, it's one of the uh, um, things my wife and I do all the time is like, we will compliment strangers all the time on their outfit or their kids or anything, right? Anything that you see, we always compliment. People like, look at us strange looks and whatnot, but it's always like, you know, that might be the only encouraging word that person had that day. Um, and, um, and so, you know, you can, you can change someone's life with a, with a kind word. So absolutely, uh, I agree completely. So that basically wraps up our interview. Um, I do have one last thing we do at the end of every one of our episodes. It's called the Heroes Challenge. Heroes Challenge is really easy. It's basically this. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come and share their story with um, our audience? Cool entrepreneurial story. Um, I, I would go back to my friend Lucia Harper because I think she is so brilliant with some of these ideas that she has that she's um, flushing out. Um, people just don't realize there's opportunities in it. And I would just say, if you haven't, take a look at yepbusiness.com. That's her website. And you can just kind of see some of the things that she does that really brings value, but more importantly, creates pride in somebody. And it's a game changer because she's told me some of the stories about how it's made a difference with some of her clients or some of her friends. And, you know, I'm just like, that's, that's somebody that you want on your side. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll reach out later and see if we can get her contact details for getting her on the show. Um, last thing we do is just thank you so much for coming on the show, Aaron. Um, where can people find you if they want to pick up a couple of your books or maybe they want to hire you to come and speak to their either their workplace organization or their school about um, this whole workplace development or workforce development? Um, where can they find all that? And then I guess more importantly, who are the right types of people to reach out for either speaking or to, for picking up your books? Who are the kind of people that would benefit the most from what it is that you, uh, you provide? So I would say, first of all, visit the website, um, aaronsmithphd.com. And when you go there, you'll see some of the um, speaking packages that I'll also do. But you'll also see two of my books that I have. One that's Awakening Your STEM School. And the brand new one I have, it's called Blank Check. What would you do if you could reinvent education? And this way, hopefully people will see the importance of connecting um, education to business, to the community. Social media, very easy. And uh, Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Aaron L. Smith, PhD. And uh, for audience, it, it really is anybody and everybody. We're talking K-12, corporates, um, um, workforce development centers, anybody who wants to make a difference in helping their employees or their students become better and more efficient at what they do so that they are not only gainfully employed, but highly productive. Those are the types of people we love to have engaging conversations with. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming on the show again. And you, um, you heard him. If you are in one of those places, if you run a company or you are in charge of the school district or anything like that, and you want to uh, 
um, to improve the way your school is working and the way that the workflow course development is happening, definitely reach out to Aaron. Um, I'm actually interested in reading your blank checkbook, so I might pick that up here before too long because um, it seems really interesting to me. Um, so thank you for coming on the show. Um, do you have any final sort of parting words of wisdom before we hit the stop record button? No, it, it, it's just really been an honor and I've enjoyed the conversation with you. Um, you know, give me a couple of things to think about, which is what I love. Um, but really just keep doing what you're doing, you know, because you are making a difference. Absolutely. Thank you for, uh, for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you.